Hello and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Shani Tarragon and today we're going to continue with the next stage of Tum'ot HaYotzot Menhaguf. But as mentioned in our previous Shi'or, we're focusing now on emissions from a female. So this is obviously a topic that I'm very excited about, especially because it's interesting to note both the ideas within the pshat of the text and how one fulfills these laws of, as we'll learn today, Nida and Zava, based on Torah Shabalpeh. And as I always encourage and enjoin to my students, it is imperative that we first see the basis for the derivations of the laws of Torah Shabalpeh in order for us to understand both the concepts and certainly the applications of these laws even till today. So we begin now with verse 19 in chapter 15, which, just to remind you, appears outside of the context of Lahurot biyom hatame o biyom hatahor zotorat hatzarat, because it's no longer the Kohen who's diagnosing the status of a person's tuma and tahara, but rather the person, him, or respectively, herself. And therefore, it is imperative to begin then with this message of understanding that one has to be familiar with one's state of physiology, one's state of health, understanding obviously basic anatomy in order to appreciate when one should determine whether one is going to be considered tame or tahor. So let us begin with the laws now of nida that begin in verse 19. Vi'isha ki tiye zava dam ye zova biv sara shivat yamim tiye benidata this date, the Torah explains explicitly, applies to a female. A woman may also have azava. She may also have some flow, some emission coming from her body. But dam yezova, but as opposed to what comes from a male, we're speaking now of blood that is flowing. Now notice the interesting terminology that Chazal are very sensitive to. It doesn't say that blood flows from her flesh, but rather blood flows in her flesh. Keeping in mind that at the time of a female menses, the blood flows from her uterus through the cervix, but before it exits her body, it is still considered in her flesh. From here, Chazal will derive that a woman becomes, as we'll see in just a moment, a nida from the moment that she can sense or feel a hargasha, literally a sensation of blood flowing from her uterus before it even exits her body. At that moment, she is going to be considered tmei'ah, shivat yamim tiyebenidata. The term for this tum'ah is considered nida, which, according to many parshanim, stems from the root of nidui, placed aside, again, to a certain degree. One can argue, yana, isolated, in a sense of being considered withdrawn from the Mikdash in this context, Shivat Yamim Tia I call this the minimum maximum rule, meaning, irregardless of how long she's actually experiencing her flow of blood, she will be rendered Nida for seven days, which, keep in mind, is not like the case of Azav. This is not an unnatural expression, but rather, again, as natural as could be, and perhaps is thereby juxtaposed directly to the Shechvatzera, which was the natural form of a male emission. So if she has a menses that continues for two days or one that continues for six days, 
she nonetheless has to wait seven days. Weche is a query in and of itself, but understood if we appreciate this notion of seven days, which is really a natural cycle, as opposed to a man who ejaculates semen and it is completely rid from his body. By a woman, the blood very often remains inside her body for some time, and even as it flows, it's a much more gradual flow than the emission of semen. And therefore, the Torah determines that she will be tmei'ah for maximum seven days. That is the natural cycle. Anyone who touches her within the seven-day nida period will also be considered impure until the evening, telling us that she also has a status of avhatum'ah. She then becomes the source of the tum'ah, which in this case is blood, or as we've discussed at the beginning of Parshat Tazriya in the context of the Yoledet, makes sense and that she has lost a sense of life. She has lost that potential seed that could have become an embryo. Pasukhev. And if a woman has this flow, then anything that she lies upon will also be considered impure, and everything that she sits upon shall also be considered impure. And whoever touches her bed or something that she has has sat upon will become impure until the evening, must wash one's clothing, immerse in the mikvah, and anyone who touched anything that she sat upon and shall wash one's clothing and be tamay until the evening and must immerse oneself in the mikvah. And if one be on the bed or touches a clee and some type of utensil that she sat on or touched, again, she also or he also will become impure until the evening. So note that at first glance, it seems that the expression of these laws are identical to those of the Zav, for in fact, both of them are the source of an impure emission. However, we're going to see from the next Pasuk that she is more similar in the natural expression of the Shekhvatzerah. In other words, for the seven days wherein she is impure, her tum'ah may be contracted by anyone who comes in touch with her or something that she sat on or touched as well. But verse 24 teaches us, V'im shachov yishkav ishota, utihi nidata alav v'tamei shivat yamim v'chol hamishkav asher yishkav alav yitma'ah. Here's a case where if a man slept with a woman in a state of tum'ah, then he contracts her nida. And this is a question that I love to pose to people, namely, can a man become a nida? And uh, most people look in a strange way. Of course not, because he doesn't have a menstrual cycle. And yet, with regard to the laws of tum'ah, he can contract the tum'at nida of the woman that he sleeps with by merely sleeping with her. Now note that here in this pasuk, we don't find any legal ramifications because everything is within the context of the mikdash. So if a man sleeps with a nida woman, beyond what we're going to learn in Parshat Acharimot, that there are going to be severe implications, here we just find that he contracts her tumat nida, which means that irregardless of when he slept with her, he now is considered tumat nida for seven days and any place where he is going to, to lie down or to sit will also be considered tamay. This is the end of the section of Nida, 
which if you look carefully, it does not include any further process of purification. She doesn't have to bring a chatat and an ola before returning to the mikdash. Just seven days of tum'ah, followed by immersion in the mikvah, and that's it. These are the laws of Nidami de Oraita, teaching us that she is more similar to the Shekhvatara. It's true that she remains in a status of Tumah for seven days, but not more than seven days. So she hasn't really breached her relationship with the Mikdash, and therefore it doesn't have to undergo a process whereby she has to bring a Khatat and Ola in order to return to the Mikdash. This is going to be juxtaposed now through a Parshia Stuma with the next date of a female omission, which is going to be more similar to the Zav, somewhat so that she is going to be rendered Zava. So note that we have a beautiful chiastic structure beginning with the unnatural omission of a man, the Zav followed by the natural omission of a man, the Shekhvatsara, juxtaposed to the natural blood omission of the woman, the Nida, and now the unnatural blood omission of the female known as the Zava. So let us start with verse 25, the case of the Zava. V'isha ki yazuv zov dama yamim rabim velo et nidata. O ki tazuv al nidata. Kol yamei zov tumata ki mei nidata tiye tmeyahi. And if a woman has a flow of blood, yamim rabim, Chazal will derive from here that the minimal plural yamim implies two days, plus rabim, the minimal addition to the minimal plural, which in in other words, the sum of three days. A woman who experiences a blood flow for three days below etnidata, a very strange term that Chazal ultimately will establish as halacha lamusha misinai, known that her non-nida time are going to be the 11 days between the ends of one nidot and the possibility of another. Or that if a woman sees blood for three days, after experiencing, according to Rashi Ramban, experiencing a nida cycle for seven days, for the 11 days thereafter, she is certainly not expecting to have another state of menses. She's not expecting to menstruate once again. And therefore, if she does see blood for three days within the 11 days after experiencing a period flow, then she is no longer considered nida, but now this is abnormal bleeding. In other words, she had two menses, so to speak, or two blood flows within a period of 18 days. So that's one way that she can become a zava, or she sees blood for three days beyond her nida time, which the Torah already qualified as a seven-day period. So if a woman experiences a blood flow not for seven days, and not even for eight or for nine, but for ten days in a row, that's already considered abnormal, some type of hormonal imbalance, and thereby she's considered tmea again, not as a nida, but similar to nida, because it still is a blood flow, this will render her impure. Anna, similar then to the nida, any place that she lies upon, during these days of Zava are just like the laws of Nida. In other words, they contract Tum'ah both to a Rishon Latumah, a person who comes in contact with the Nida or the Zava, or the Kli that she may have sat upon, 
will also be considered tameh, just like anida, and whoever touches these things shall be impure, has to wash one's clothes and immerse in a mikvah, and be unclean until the evening. Pasuk chavchet, ve'im tahara mizova, and once this blood flow has stopped, now we know that it isn't enough for her just to go to the mikvah, but keep in mind that she has experienced some type of unnatural, unhealthy phenomenon. What must she do? Just like the Zav, she has to establish that she, in fact, is healthy now. She has to regain a status of a natural cycle, and therefore she counts seven days, what will become known in Halakha as Shiva Nikiim, seven clean days, seven blood free days, and only then may she be considered pure meaning only then may she immerse in the mikvah, and even that's not enough, because this means that she's been away from the mikdash for more than seven days, minimally three days wherein she's experienced this abnormal blood flow, plus seven days to establish a natural cycle. So therefore, and on the eighth day, then she shall take her two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them to the Kohen to the door of the Ol Moed. And the Kohen shall offer one as a chatat and the other as an Ola and thereby achieve atonement kapara before Hashem for her state of Tum'ah very consistent then with what we've seen until now, namely that anyone who's been away from the Mikdash because of his status of Tumah for more than seven days undergoes the cycle or the formula of providing a chatat followed by an ola, showing Hashem that regardless of this temporary breach in a relationship, the goal is really to come back to the Mikdash. In our next Shi'or, we're going to conclude with a final three psukim, a parshat mitzvah, that are going to serve as an overall conclusion for these laws of Tumat HaMikdash to understand really what the relationship is between a status of Tum'ah, the limitation of the Mikdash, and ultimately the goal of returning to it.